Blog Talk Radio. This week's Dungeon Crawlers Radio is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash Dungeon Crawlers Radio to start your free trial membership. Broadcasting live from the PCR studio. The Emperor has been expecting you. Where Geekishik and Pandemonium reign supreme. Come to the coast and get together, have a few laughs. Your host will discuss everything you need to know about the world of Duke. Oh, yeah! So grab your staff, throw on your cape, and roll your 20-sided die. Because it's time for... Dungeon Crawlers Radio. <laughs> Welcome wow. to another exciting episode of Dungeon wow. Crawlers Radio. Yes, R2 came back for a little bit. I love wow, it. surprising. Yes, he has returned for I don't know how long. But he'll be he'll be here for a little bit. Because we need a new intro. <laughs> Another or, one. Well, it, it has been requested by Flagoon that we get rid of the the uh, Keith Allen. Not all to me. of it, just some of it. No, he yeah. wants all of it gone. What? Well, that's Flagoon. Guys, but, yeah. I love it talking to Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> I love it. We gotta get rid of it, anyways. So, uh, welcome to another exciting episode of Dungeon Crawlers Radio, where things are crazy, all the time. No, we're crazy with you. I'm completely sane. Yeah? Yeah. I'm the voice of reason. You are the voice of reason? I am the voice of reason. Well, I'm just going to put it out and there. This, anger. This, this is Revan. This guy named Joe. The Cora. Hi. What? What? Who are you? <laughs> oh. Next. Uh, Drew. <laughs> and for those of you that are listening yeah. currently, we have an amazing little app running in the background from good friend Ben Looms of Sirenscape. Yeah. So you can hear some background noise going on right now. Yeah. The best part is that random, I can just do this. Oh, yeah. Wilhelm. Nice. Oh, yes. don't. It's awesome. This is a pretty sweet little app. Oh, it is. It is a I cool mean, app. For those of you out there, you, you need to pick it up. Um, not only that, and I'm going to mention this, and the reason I'm playing this is because um, I was just notified that because it's Halloween, it's October, they're actually going to be releasing a sound pack for a haunted house. Nice. So in your gaming adventure, when you're going into one of those you know, scary haunted type areas, you can be playing that in there. And as you can tell, this is some pretty good stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I, 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 I recommend it to any, I mean, any yeah. gaming. I, we just went with something scary. Now we can jump over to you know, a busy market day. You know, the, the nice thing is not only is there music, but there's also background effects. I mean, if you're in a tavern, you're hearing people belching. You're hearing That's people awesome. talking and just mm-hmm. going crazy. It's so yeah. much more immersive. It yeah, is. It's not just Lagoon, then? No. No. Okay. That's, okay. It could be. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. right now, we're we're at a market. So you can hear people I going need around. The, I need this just for That's my writing. Awesome. I, think. I know. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Just to play it while I write. Yeah, I yeah. crank on the uh, the sci-fi, mm-hmm. the um, sci-fi sirenscape whenever I'm, whenever I'm typing because they have some of the coolest coolest background. You know one thing that I like to do when I'm trying to get something done but I and I want to listen to something but I don't want to get distracted uh-huh. is I listen to video game soundtracks. Yeah. Yeah. Because those are perfect. They're actually like engineered to be 
not distracting mm-hmm. but motivating and yeah it's kind of cool yeah and quite frankly some of them have there are some games that have most some of the most stellar soundtracks oh, that yeah. are ever made yeah. well, and not only that you have you, you've got this background music you can adjust you can adjust things you want more growls in there you you turn that up you want more mm-hmm. kids crying or people weeping you mm-hmm. can turn that up you know there's random sound effects you can throw into Mm-hmm. It's a nice. great little tool. Yeah. yeah. And you have some, something for almost everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, how uh, creepy is that? Yeah, there's, a three minute, there's like a three-minute tutorial video. Yeah. Shows you exactly how to use it. Yeah. And it's really simple. It does not take a lot. Nope. Uh, I mean, it's just that right there. Mm-hmm. Isn't that not creepy enough? Mm-hmm. It's creepy so, yeah, enough. Go out, you know, pick it up. Uh, the nice thing is you can get it on your mobile device. I'm just running this off my iPad that's then plugged into the soundboard. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can have it on laptop your phone. I mean, it's pretty accessible. And, you know, it comes with a couple of sound packs and then you just purchase additional ones that you yeah. want. So, uh, yeah. yeah, we ran into this. If you if you want to check it out, you can, more information about it, go to our YouTube channel, uh, look up uh, Sirenscape interview that we yeah. did at Gen Con this last year. Yeah, we and, talked uh, to Ben Looms himself. Yeah, we did. And we talked, Flagoon talked to him. Um, in the interview, you know, we even have a little portion uh, or we're, we're just having fun. He's mm-hmm. talking it up, and you know he's got tons. You can go to his website. There's tons of other YouTube videos he's put out there. Uh, guy is really animated, lots of fun, has lots of energy about it. Um, I would say we endorse this. Yeah, it's an awesome tool. <laughs> we endorse it. Yeah. So, hey, yeah. so we need to get them to make a Firefly one. Uh, like, that's that licensing you, issues. Well, Similar. I mean, obviously not. So just space it, cowboy, like space cowboy so, or something. Okay, right? Ben, well, that I can do. The, well, see, I'm in the works of getting Ben back on the show. So when he's on the show, we can say, "Hey, Ben, we need a space cowboy theme." There he we go. He says it in hushed tones, like it's some secret. It is. He says announcing it on the air. I know. Yeah, <laughs> we're bringing Ben on the show. <laughs> I was just getting a little confused there too. Sorry for the weird look. You're fine. Confusion. Um, but yeah, like I have on my phone, I have like all of these little sound clips. Mm-hmm. That I usually use for ringtones and notifications when I'm playing the Firefly board game. I'm like, I have to like, okay, everybody stop. Like when everyone, when someone <laughs> rolls and gets the serenity, rolls the six, you know, I play uh, the misbehaving tune yeah. or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's so much fun and it gets people so excited. So I yeah. want one of that. <laughs> I want one of those for Firefly board That would games. be a really good one. Yeah. Actually, Space Cowboy theme would be fantastic. Yeah. Boy, would so. somebody let me come play Firefly with them. I have it at my house. Do you I want to come over? I have it at my house too. I, I even have the though. I have the Blue Sun expansion yeah. and the. Uh, I can't believe you guys didn't get me one of those. It's incredible that you, you all have, have it at your house. I I have two. Just would love to be invited to come you have play. Two Blue Sun. I have two of everything. Yeah, I make them run. Two I do. I do a race. I make them. I play in a race. All right. It looks like John's Joe, calling in. Joe's so. arc. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna answer this call. Jump into our interview with author John Brown. Yeah. Uh. It's been a while, but it's going to be it fun. It has so. been. I know. So let's, uh, let me answer this call. Hello. Hi. How are you? Have I, have I reached Dungeon Crawlers Radio? You have reached Heck Dungeon yeah, Crawlers have. Radio. <laughs> Welcome awesome. once again. Thanks. Hello. You know, it's been a while, but it, you, you've been busy. I have been super busy. So, um, you know, you, we, we, we've kind of talked before coming on the show, and we talked at Comic-Con, and, and we talked a little bit when we were running the Firefly 
uh, RPG. Um, <laughs> Hello, Mr. Mayor. Yes, Mr. Mayor. The, the, <laughs> the politician that, that ran back for the posse. You know, um, but you're kind of one of those stories where you got published by the big name publisher and then decided, no, nope, that's not for me, and you've gone kind of the the opposite way of general publishing. Yeah, that's right. We, you know, got strapped into the rocket ship to the moon with Tor Books back in 2009 and then launched and promptly, promptly shot out into the swamp. What really happened is, you know, the editors and I just didn't agree on the vision for the book. There were things about the book and the series where that I loved and where I wanted to take it, and they didn't. And so I think that's basically what it amounted to. And so um, about two years ago, I said, you know, guys, I went to them and said, hey, this just isn't working, and we probably should part ways. You know, after 2009, the first book released, and then the next book was written, and then another version written, and another version written, and another version written. And, you know, each time I did that, that was another year gone by. Mm-hmm. And so they said, you know what, you're right, we we should do that. And we had an amicable parting. It was, you know, towards a, there's a lot of great people that worked there and uh, got my rights back and then started releasing my books. Uh, well, just the end of last year, December nice. of last year. Yeah, so it's it's been an interesting ride. So then, what is it like then having uh, you're so you're doing the independent publishing? So I'm doing indie publishing. That's right. So it's all the eBooks, and then it's print on demand, available through Amazon for you know big trade paperback. So has this been like a? Um... I mean, by the sounds of it, you sound a little more liberated. I mean, how was it like then making that transition into publishing your own stuff? I mean, you're cutting out all the middlemen. You've got all this headache that's alleviated. Is this better for you? <laughs> that is the question. That's a million-dollar question, isn't it? Uh, I mean, yeah, on the one end, it is liberating, you know, because I can – publish books as soon as I want to get them published, and if there's something about them that I don't like, I can change it immediately. You know, if there are some weird typos that we find out about, I can get those changed immediately. Recently, there was a big New York publisher that published a book, um, you know, sent out um, copies out to to folks, and this is the, the supposed final version, and they had all sorts of comments in the book from the author to <laughs> the proofreader or copy oh, editor. No. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so, I mean, I feel terrible for that guy, right? But they're going to have to go through a process, and that's a big process for a publisher to do that. For me, you know, it's nimble, boom, 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 I can get that. So there are a lot of things like that. I can manage my own uh, sales promotions and set my own prices and and hire my own editors and artists and do all that jazz, but on the other side, uh, it's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. Um, a lot of money so, out of your pocket. No, it well, sounds not, like it. Um, not, well, not, I, I don't know. I don't know about too much. I mean, you could spend a lot. You could spend yeah. a lot if you were if you were to hire a series of editors. You could easily. You know, spend a I don't know more, a thousand, two thousand dollars on editors, and if you got a top name artist, 
for the illustration and the cover designer, you could easily spend a couple of thousand dollars there and be into the book four to five thousand bucks. But I, you know, I've kind of taken a businessman's approach to this, and that is, we'll start small. So there is some money invested up front. I had to get a good artist. Found a guy in Mexico who's who's really good, and uh, needed to get some editors and that kind of stuff. But but it hasn't been a ton of money. Well, I mean the the artwork on the the books are amazing. I mean, yeah, they are. so it's definitely spent yeah, you the know a good well amount spent. of money for a great cause. I mean, on the cover, it's just beautiful. You know, and, and yeah. I read the original version that Tor uh, published, and you're right, the changes you've made make the story flow a lot better. It, the story seems to just flow where before it was kind of clunky and quirky, like there is something just not right, but okay, I, I'll deal with the story. So Yeah, yeah, that's I mean, on Servant. And yeah, the the beginning, the editor had me change the beginning, basically resequence the first eight chapters. And I mean, I understand why he asked me to do that, and as a baby author, you're like, yes, sir, whatever yeah. you want, I'm going to do it. Um, but ultimately, I think it undermined the narrative velocity and the suspense that that it set up. So what it is now is the author's cut, and I think, like you said, I'm getting a lot of good comments about it, and I think right. it was the right way to go. Well, I mean, I, I just want to mention here, I mean, they're just in the in Servant, uh, the first book, there, there's some praises that are here, and these are some pretty big people that are praising. I mean, we got Brandon Sanderson saying something about you. We've got Ellie Modisette Jr., Ken Scholes, uh, David Drake, Larry Correa. Uh, we have David Farland. I mean, just to name a few. I mean, those are some pretty big names. Yeah, they are. Promoting this book and saying, you need to read this. I mean, that just by itself says a lot about your work. Yeah, those guys were really generous. I appreciate, I you know, uh, I appreciate. <laughs> I was, I was totally stoked when they were willing to, to give the quotes that they did. So that yeah. was really exciting. And, and it's a great book. I mean, I, I love Hunger. The character Hunger is just amazing. And you know, I haven't, re- I haven't got to read book two or three yet. I mean, I know they're out, they're available, and I want to see where that character goes as well as well as uh, is it. Uh, I know I'm probably going to say it wrong. Talon? Yeah, Talon. The ma- okay, that's Talon. How I okay. Pronounce it, but however you pronounce it, it's fine. Well, that's how, I, that's how I, I've been pronouncing it. So I'm like, oh. The fantasy yeah. names are always those ones where like, okay, I know it's this way in my head, but how is it in the, you know, how is the author portraying that? Sure. Oh, and yeah. So you never know. But uh, it's, it's a great story. And then the way you've set up these gods is just unique. And I love the fact that the humans are like cattle, you know, they're feeding off of them. And it's like, oh, crap. I wouldn't want to be in that society. But it, hey, I'm like, oh, man. Hey, spoiler I, alert. Well, it's not a spoiler <laughs> alert. Not really. Man. The book's been out before. No. Okay. No, it's just, it's a fun read. It's really great. And it's a unique and different idea than has ever been out there. And I know you've kind of talked to us about it before because the idea came while you were looking at some cows or something like that, if I remember correctly. Well, yeah, I got, um, so I'm, I live up at the south end of Bear Lake in Utah, which is up in the mountains, up in the wilderness, surrounded by a bunch of ranchers. And so we moved out here in about 2003, 
And when I'm working on my story ideas, I'll often, you know, go take a walk. I'll, I'll run into a kind of a naughty story problem, and uh, I find that taking a walk and talking out loud as I'm walking about this story question really helps. And so I, I would go on walks. Now, I, I'm, I'm, when I say rural and remote, we, we were rural and remote. There were like 500 people in the little town that was five miles away. We were at the end of the line, you know, um, National Forest and BLM land was behind us. Mm-hmm. And the ranchers ranged some of their cattle up there. So I, <laughs> I was going on these walks up this canyon, and uh, the story story is kind of funny. Anyway, so on one of these walks, I'm working on this story problem, working on this story problem, trying to figure out, you know, something central about the villains or the antagonists in this book. And I get up there. I don't know how familiar are you guys with with cattle. I mean, when I'm a city boy and I thought the cattle said moo, I, <laughs> I don't know about you. Did I, right? Well, yeah. I got up there and uh, and uh, I heard this this sound coming from these willows. This ooh, ooh. <laughs> and so you know, being a language guy, it's like, hey, that, I have never heard that before. I just thought moo was it, and so I started making this sound back, and uh, the sound in the bushes became a little bit more aggressive. You know, down by the willows. And I, you know, I'm like, hey, I'm having a conversation here with, with this cow. And uh, uh, just a few seconds later, the, the bull comes rushing out of the willows looking for the other bull that is challenging him for all of his women. <laughs> and I, so I, of course, I tailed it out of there, let him have his women. I wasn't too interested in them. But uh, I started looking around and thinking, you know what? Um, these cattle, uh, and, you know, I, I started delving into that and thinking about the cattle, and part of the story was that that uh, folks had, of course, souls, and I thought, you know, if a soul exists, if it's a real thing, then wouldn't there be a, a food chain that was built around soul? And as soon as I thought that, you know, all sparked by these walks and these experiences with these cattle, as soon as I started thinking about that, um, parts of that story opened up to me, and that's part of where that interesting idea came from, are those walks and and my talks with the cattle. (laughs) So did any of the neighbors ever give you any weird looks when they would see you having conversations with yourself or the cattle? people out here the cattle are the i mean that's it there are, i i was when we first moved out here i was in uh in a little 900 square foot house we have four daughters there was one bathroom and it had a trick door it was right off the kitchen and so somebody might be in the bathroom and the door would just automatically open up you know unclick boop, and you say hello to the guests <laughs> very you know it was a very friendly door anyway so it's a little teeny 900 square foot house and then I was in the back in this souped-up cow shed, and that's where I would write, right? And there's nobody. I mean, the closest neighbor was like a mile away. And, then, and there was a, a neighbor a mile away on one side, a neighbor a mile away on the other. And that was it. So when I went out to, to walk, there was, 
There was nobody there. I would I would go out to my little cow shed and then come in during the day because there's no mail service out there. You have to go into town. And I'd beg my wife, can I go in to get the mail? Because I would like to see people. You know. So, <laughs> so no so then, no weird luck. Yeah. So then, uh, so is this isolation? Well, it's semi isolation. Has this sort of uh, proven to be a boon uh, to your uh, to your writing and furthering your um, isolation? Furthering a your... boon to my writing? You mean? Yeah. I, I don't yeah. know. I don't know if you heard you. Yeah, yeah, that's what he's asking. Am I still connected? Yep. Oh yeah. Yeah, yep. we can still hear you. Can you hear us? Hello? Yeah, I can hear you. So. So the question was, was it a boon to my writing? Yes. Yes. I'm not hearing any of you guys. Yes. Oh, no. Hold on. I I think my cord is... uh, All right. Can you hear us now? John, are you there? Uh Uh-oh. Well, he's still on there. Hold on a second, everyone. We're going to do some... Are you still there? Yeah, Yeah, we're still here. Yes, we're here. Can you hear us? I think our Skype is being a little janky. No, no, Skype. There's nothing wrong with Skype. Yeah. I don't know if it's I'm his connection. I'm going to call back in. All right. Okay. All right. So we're going we're gonna to do something real quick. So okay. What, we're going to try this again. We're going to play a quick, quick, quick. Oh. That's right. We'll be back with uh, more talk about cattle and weird looks and stories. I'm going to play the John Amazon Brown. drop right now. So we will be right back with more John Brown. This next half of the interview is going to be brought to you by Amazon.com. Uh, once you're done with listening to the show, if you want to get yourself any of the other books that you've been uh, hearing about in the past few weeks, just go to the sidebar uh, located at DungeonCollegeRadio.com, clear out your cookies, enter in your search term, and shop as normal. It doesn't cost you anything extra and uh, even kicks a little bit of money back to us. So it's not entirely a selfless gesture. That's Amazon.com. All right, we're back. It looks like John's back too, so uh, I'm gonna answer this phone call. Are you? But are you there? I am. I don't know what happened. Right. Everything I don't know either. We could hear you just fine, and we're responding, so it was kind of weird. Okay. But yeah, uh, J- uh, Joe's question was, you know, has uh, the solitude kind of been a boon to your writing? Well, you know, um, I'll tell you what. I mean, it's great up here. It's it's gorgeous. And there are a lot of great people, but at the same time, I find that um, new things actually stimulate my imagination. So when we first moved out here, I was getting, you know, I call them zings, but, you know, ideas. I was I was just getting them all over the place. I mean, just because it's so foreign to me. I'm a city boy. My wife grew up in the country. I would say, you know, there's a, there's a testicle festival, there are ranchers, there are horses to be ridden, you know, there are hawks that dive bomb me when I go out on a walk, there's elk in the backyard, there are, um, you know, altercations between ranchers over water. There, I mean, there's just a ton of things out here that when you first come into it, I mean, we had a, a wild Mustang come down, we, had a, we, had a, we were watching a horse, uh, and a wild Mustang came down in, and we had issues with him. And I mean, because you know, there's the lady in the pen, and he, there's the lady. So um, I mean, there's all sorts of things like this. We got uh, mice, and we got. I mean, so all of 
of that was great, but as you live here for a while, and it, and it, it wasn't necessarily the solitude, it was just the change in venue, and I found that when I go to a new venue, that that's when I get all sorts of ideas and and stuff like that. So every time we've moved, it's always been great. I mean, the solitation, sol- uh, the the solitary life is is. Uh, I mean, we move closer to town. I gotta have people, but I gotta have input. So I don't know. It's it's been a boon, and and uh, I like I like people too. <laughs> so I'll just say it that way. <laughs> All right. Very nice. Uh, you know, so we got the servant out. That was the first book. Now you've been able to mm-hmm. get the second and the third book out. And the second book is Curse. And then the third book is Raveler? Ravel? That's right. Okay, Raveler. Now, so what what kind of happens in the second book and then the third book that we're going to be seeing? Without giving well, too much away. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so in the first book, it starts off with this young, you know, this really, I don't know, what would you... How would you describe her? She's a a spirited blacksmith's daughter, and and she's being hunted because her family was accused of using the dark magic. It, in the book, it's called slethery and uh, or sleth magic. And there's a young man that is part of her um, uh, ethnicity that uh, is wants to prove that. You know that his group isn't isn't bad after all. And so he it's his he's determined he's going to hunt whoever it is down, and he's going to find these this young girl and and her little brother. So that's how it starts. And the whole you know premise of this is that things aren't as they seem in the world. They're not as they seem. The divines, the magic users, the wizards, they're not what they seem. <clears throat> and as we progress through the books, it's about uncovering what's really going on. And then when, so in books two and books three, um, we get more insight into what's really going on in the horror that's going on in the world. And um, and as they find out about this, they have to make some hard choices and fight against the true villains um, uh, that uh, that are over them. And so in books two and three, we we have our first big battles, and we have a lot of insights. I don't know, it's hard not to give everything away, but, but it continues with those guys and their struggles, and, and that's going to continue right up to the end. I have a big, I have a big reveal that is waiting at the, the end of, I don't know if it's going to be book four or book five that finishes this series up, but, but, um, but that's kind of how it's flowing. Okay. So so one uh one layer of this is not enough. One layer of uh, of truth or truth finding isn't nope. enough. No no no, we got to have more. No, that's that's right. I I really like that that I think and I think this is one of the appeals of a lot of fantasy is the discovery. Mm-hmm. You know, I I think I think that's well, at least it's one of the big things that appeals to me you've got a new magic system and yeah there's the cool things you can do with that and the lore that's all that's always interesting but i think there's something about the discovery that we fantasy readers just i think love 
And so that's part of how I wanted to structure this, in that every book, you know, you're learning new things, you're discovering new things about the magic and about the world, and it twists your understanding of what's really going on. Okay. Nice. So, so I guess as the reader is discovering the world for the first time, the characters that discover things that they didn't know about their world that were, I guess they almost would take for granted. Yeah. Yeah, there would be things that they're taking for granted. And, uh, yeah, yeah. But they're kind of our guide through the world, you know, mm-hmm. because <clears throat> the readers, you know, the reader has the understanding that they have. Now, there are parts where I introduce villains and other points of view that give us glimpses, but but we're really following the these uh, these folks along as they discover the truth. They're they're the magic users that that um, that are working with them. They think they've got the truth, you know, the good guys, and it's going to be revealed that <laughs> there are a lot of things they don't know, right? Uh, I, I just think that makes a, a more interesting book, yeah. Nice. Now, uh, where can our listeners pick up these three books? Well, they're, they're available on all the online stores. So okay. the e-books are on, you know, Apple and Kindle or Amazon and Nook. And then if they are interested in a paperback, and it's a big paperback, it's the big trade paperback, then those are available on Amazon. Nice. So, I mean, does that really help with you being able to do the print-on-demand so that way you don't have to buy X number amounts sitting in your shed waiting for someone to, to purchase those? You know, you just... Well, as the people buy them, they you know they print them and then ship them out. I mean, does that make things a lot smoother and easier for you? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I don't think print would be feasible without that because number one, it like you said, it take, it removes all of the the carrying costs that you have by you know however that might be, you know, might five ten thousand dollars in books sitting in your garage, right? So it removes yeah. that, but it also gets it into the retail sites, you know, about 70, 60%, I think is the number, 60% of books are bought online. Now, that's both, that's both hard copy books and e-books. So wow. it's not like um, most, you know, most of the fiction books are bought in Barnes & Noble or something like that. A good, good deal of them are purchased online. And so this allows me to be in a store, and I don't have to go negotiate you know, individually with Amazon or Barnes & Noble, I can just have it up there. The one downside is these books are, because they're printed one at a time instead of in big batches, and because they're printed on, uh, you know, the paper of these books is a little bit higher quality than most of the paper that you get in the um, in the big print runs for for a lot of the publishers, and so the the, the cost per book is a little bit higher. So I can't you know, if, if if I'd had my brothers, it would be great to, you know, do a whole bunch of them and, and sell them for a lower price, but you just can't do that. So that's the one downside, but the upside is is really, really good. <clears throat> I'm not hearing you guys again. Are you still there? 
I guess I'll call in one more time. Let me try it again. I, I don't know what's going on. <clears throat> okay, it says we're back on. I know. John, are you there? Yeah, I am here. Hey. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, technical difficulties. Our computer crashed. Our computer completely crashed, so we had to jump on with an alternate. It caught the virus. Awesome. <laughs> so, oh, wow. apologize okay. about that. Yeah, um, all the time. That's all right. Man, yeah. it has just been one fun and uh, we, we had a phone, <laughs> you couldn't hear us, and then we have a computer crashing. So for all of our listeners out there, we greatly apologize for that brief period of silence and yeah, to you as well. Was, yeah, we're, we're really, really sorry about that. It was completely unintentional. Um, so anyway, so back, uh, we're, we're talking with uh, with John Brown, author of Servants and... Oh, so the, Dark the, the, Dark the Dark God series. The Dark God so, series. Uh, Servant, Curse, and Raveler. There you go. Okay. And then there are two two more to come. So it's a five-book series. That um, actually leads into a question I have then. So um, the last... Hold up. Well, the last two for... Nope, I don't have it listed. So never mind. Is it five book or am I just being crazy? Well, it might be five books. I don't know. Okay. okay. I'm, I'm planning on at least one more volume, but I don't know if that's going to be enough to... Conclude the tale. Oh, okay. Uh-oh. That's perfect, then, John. I, I'm just curious. Did this start out as a idea for a single book, or did you shoot for at least a trilogy, or just in the planning stage? How did you think about that, and how did you plan the timelines and the story arcs through the different books? Yeah, this started out as uh, it was originally as three books. Um, But it was originally pitched as three books, and um, uh, I know. But but when you get into this, I mean, my the the outline for the third book was like a page at that time, and so when yeah. It was wait. It only came in as a page for a, for just an outline. Yeah. yeah. Oh. So okay. I had my my first book was finished. The second book I had an outline of I don't know about six pages, and then the third one I said you know this is what I'm thinking, and it was about a page. You know? Okay. That was it. And so when Tor purchased it, they they purchased a three book deal. Now at no time. Did we ever say, oh, these will be the only three books? But it sure. was, you know, okay, well, this looks good. We'll run with it. But as you get into writing things, uh, you know, sometimes things follow your original plans, and sometimes they don't. And so with this one, it just isn't, you know, it's not following that. But it's not a big deal. So, Huh. Okay, so I'm just kind of curious then. Is like is, When you're doing outlines for your books, then, I mean, is a page – a single page normal or or do you plan things out a little more in detail and, and more um and uh, more at length well that's that's a good question so you know for for this so for me when it comes time to actually write the book i create a what i call a working outline and that working outline has usually all of the major events listed out in okay. it. And that might be a couple of pages. I'm getting that background noise. Um, yeah, we got. Uh, but when I'm just sketching out an idea for a book, which is what that was basically, 
you really don't need more than, you know, 250, 500 words to sketch out a story problem, a central story problem, and how that's going to resolve with the main antagonist and, and that type of a thing. Now, there are other authors who, you know, don't use any outlines at all. They just kind of like to, to free format, and that's how they do their first draft. They just kind of follow the, follow the interest of the story. Okay. But that's not how I do it. That's not how you roll? Is it? <laughs> no. No, I, I got to know... I I find it freeing to know, to have developed a little bit of that up ahead. Now, things change as I write. They always change sure. as I write. You're always developing new ideas and and inventing new stuff as you write. And so sometimes what you invent later, you're like, ah, what I thought before doesn't work. I'm going to have to change it. Or, oh, man, this is so freaking cool. I've got to go off in this direction over here. Yeah, uh, it's just so much better than what I had before, and so that's what you do. So. Ah, okay. So, so the so the outline is not a set in stone sort of thing. You got to be flexible with that. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. What I what I compare this to is, um, kind of like an artist. You know, you do a lot of you, well, you do some sketches up front, and mm-hmm. those are just sketches, and then you start working on the final product, and and you might get in and get halfway into the final product and go, ah, that isn't working. I've got to sketch some more and figure it out. Or, or um, um, uh, you know, or you get done with it and you're like, boy, that was terrible. That didn't work at all. I, and I've got to revise the whole thing. So for me, it's 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 kind of like that. I'm I'm pretty loose with it. Okay. It's 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 a sketch draft type of a process. So on this on that same note, then, um, can you, maybe can you shed a little light on um – on some of the stuff that you maybe left on the cutting room floor, some of the stuff that you thought, you was like, eh, that was a bad idea, maybe I shouldn't let that go. Or was there something that was just too good to to not put in there and still couldn't put it in there? So, something that was too good that I couldn't put it in there. Um, <clears throat> well, let's, let, me, uh, let me talk about the process with my editor. Now, sure. It's a similar process that I do with myself, except in this situation it was a little bit different. So I did my first draft of Curse. Mm -hmm. And in that draft I had these creatures called the called the Ungar. And they were they were they were totally bad. They lived in these you know, they would sleep in these these coffin like things that are about nine feet tall. And I loved them as monsters. They were an intelligent species. They practiced a different kind of magic. And they were just, they were just, they were this wraith magic, and they were just awesome. I loved them. But the editor, the editor didn't feel like they, they were contributing to the story overall. Mm-hmm. And so in the next draft, I had to remove them completely from the story. And oh. so I... You know, I love them. They, I, who knows? I might use them in another story somewhere down the line, maybe mm-hmm. in another series. But um, you know, there's something along that's something along the lines of what you're talking about. The okay. Yeah. Huh. So then, I mean, so I take it then that that was, I mean, that you, uh, 
based off what you said before, that was not the first time that you and uh, you and the editors um, at Tor Books were kind of not seeing eye to eye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were there were a number of instances where we just disagreed, and that's fine. You know, they're smart people, and they have their tastes and the things that that uh, appeal to them. And mm-hmm. it just so happened that in this instance. Um, you know, I, I disagreed with him, and some of the things were fundamental to what I wanted to do in the book, you know. Yeah. There were some characters that were really... So, for example, in book two, there's this guy named Harnock, and he's a twist, a blend of... Uh, he's half half man, half beast. And when you get into the magic, you can see how that can happen. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's basically crazy, I mean, or or unstable. I mean, you go out there and he'll he'll kill you and eat you, you know, because you're another male coming into his territory. And so, mm-hmm. um, uh, but he's a perfect mentor for my main character, right? So you got this main character, he's got to be paired up with this guy. And I loved him. I loved him as a character, and he was one of the key things that I wanted to write about. Well, one of my editors just didn't like him. Didn't, didn't think that he was adding to the story. Now, my readers... Yeah, I thought he was great. My agent thought he was great. Um, and so that's just one of those things where there was just a disagreement. And, all, and other books could be written that were awesome without him. But for me, I've got to follow my passion. And he was one of the main reasons why I wanted to write that second book, because I didn't love yeah. his Yeah. Ah, okay. Nice. Further the inspiration. So then um, another question then, because um, you said you were, you were starting to – uh, and I believe it said you uh, you were saying book two and book three is where you, we start seeing like the big battles. I mean, what was that like then coming up with the the first battles, the first really big battles? How did how did that sort of um, I I guess impact you? And what was that like when you were coming up with that for the first time? Was it daunting? Um, you know. Well, it was, there's always a challenge writing something new, and then there's, you know, every situation, every book is a little bit different, and there are new situations maybe that you hadn't written before. And Mm -hmm. so I don't know that daunting is the right word, but it was, there was a challenge there, right? It's like, okay, in in book three right now, a, a, a large portion of the book is this battle. And, yeah. you know, as I'm approaching that, I have to say, okay, I've got this battle. I've got to make sure that it's interesting. I want to follow, you know, the zing and, and the cool things about my world. I don't want to just write another <laughs> Siege of Gondor, you know, even though it's in that similar class. So what what can I do? And then there's the research that goes into that. So how how would they actually go to battle, given the magic and what's going on with my world? So, for example, I have... I have these um, creatures that are harnessed, enthralled, that live in what we consider to be the, the invisible world or the spirit world, or they call it the world of the skier, because that's what these the types of creatures are. But they have, they're, they're passing, they, they can have effects in the physical world. Um, mm-hmm. And some of that is wind, right? So they use them to power uh, sailing ships and to do all sorts of things. Well, when you're creating the magic, one of the things you have to ask yourself is, what are the ramifications of this magic in the situation that I'm at or are on this world? But if you had something to create winds of that magnitude, 
they're obviously going to be used in battle. And so the question was then, well, whoa, what does that do then in a siege? How does that change the siege dynamics? And so there was all sorts of research. You know, yeah, we're going to use throwing machines like trebuchets. I call them different things in my book. But you can't use the same kind of stones. You're not going to use them in exactly the same way. And an offensive assault isn't going to look the same way when you have wind like this at your disposal. You can, if you can craft up a whirlwind, uh, you can attack in a different way. And if the defenders know about that, they, they need to do something about that. You know, they will have developed things to protect against that. And so um, as I was doing the battle, you know, that's all the fun stuff is coming up with all of these types of things. Um, so I, I don't know. There was some challenge to it to do a big set piece like that, and there was a lot of fun. I mean, a lot of fun. I've got these. I've got these creatures in there. These these characters in there are called dogmen, and they're a different breed of human. So they're a little bit taller. They are strong. They have this musk scent, and um, they 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 run with packs of these animals called maulers, which are these big, ferocious dogs, and. Um, you know, bringing them into the battle and mm-hmm. having those—I was just awesome. There was a there was a professor. You know, one of the things I wanted to research. Now, I didn't do this. I didn't. I didn't actually include a cavalry charge in the the battle scene. I, I thought it was going to include one, but ultimately the battle didn't go that way. But there uh-huh. was some research that I needed to do to mm-hmm. find out what what is it really like at the front line. You know, they talk about the shock troops and everything else, but when you start thinking about a charge of horses against uh, a formation of pikes and, you know, or or you've got bows and arrows that are that are coming at you and horses are, you know, I'm out here in uh, ranch land and there are horses all around me. Now, I know you can train horses, do all sorts of things, but horses are primarily a flight animal. They don't, they're not, they're not like dogs. They're not predators. And, yeah, you can train them to kick and do all sorts of things, and they can they can sometimes be mean, but they're still primarily a flight animal. So, you know, one of my questions was, how, how does that work? How does that work? How do you, how do, what, and what happens when you actually run into troops? Because I have to say, looking at um, Lord of the Rings, as much as I love the Peter Jackson movies, the way they use horses there, absolutely unrealistic. They don't they don't crash through um, lines and lines of people like tanks. They just don't. And, yeah. And so the question was, how, how would that actually occur? So there was research, you know, done with some of the horses around here there, and you know, just talking to ranchers and people that work with horses all the time. And there was some research done with some some experts in medieval warfare, you know, some some uh, military historians. And, um, you know, that's all part of the, the the fun part of developing a battle like that, even though I never, I didn't ever use it. <laughs> it was still there. It was fascinating, and I loved doing the research. Nice. Well, well yeah. I, can't, I can't hear you. Drew, I can't hear you at all. I don't know. Oh. <laughs> you have to talk into the other mic. I don't know what's going on there. We're just winning tonight. It's amazing. awesome. So, hey, John, then the question is, um, when that wild Mustang came around, did you chase it away with a pike? 
Yeah, that would have been good. I mean, here, this is how this is how city boy I am, right? So the wild Mustang comes around. We got this we got this mare in the uh, in the field, and he is going around the fence. You know, that's a couple of acres. He's going around this fence trying to figure out how he can go in and say hello to the lady. Well, we go to bed. The next morning we get in, and there, there's kind of a series of fields. And so he's in, he's in the area um, that is just one fence away from her. And I'm like, oh, man, i got to get this guy out of here. And so I'm thinking, uh, you know, I'm thinking I'm a freaking predator. What's he going to do against me, you know? And <laughs> he was so interested in her. I go out there, I'm like, you know, waving my arms, telling him to get away. And he... he charged at me, you know, but then veered off at the last moment, of course. But um, uh, it was pretty interesting. <laughs> I realized, you know what, I might be a freaking predator, but that guy, <laughs> that guy weighs a lot more than I do, and he's got, he's got hooves, so no pikes yeah. involved. We did, uh, we did use uh, some other implements, but no, pi- no pikes. Okay. Nice. <laughs> well, yeah. we're getting to that point where we're going to have to... Yeah, before we, up, see, uh, before we reach the top of the hour, just real quickly, the phone lines are open right now. If you want to ask John any last-second questions before uh, before the end of the night, you can call us at 626-226-1475. Wow. That was gusto epic. tonight. I know. Gusto. Yep, you can also email us questions at info at dungeoncollegeradio.com. You can follow us on Twitter at DCR underscore show. You can also find us on that Google Plus thing. and uh, YouTube. Yeah, on the YouTube. Facebook. We're everywhere. It, it's amazing. Yeah. Especially since the last time John spoke with us, we were an itty-bitty little rinketing outlet. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you didn't have a computer crash on you, though. No, I didn't. And we only had, like, three mics or two mics that could run. Yeah. 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 Yep. Did, yeah. Didn't so, have as um, many listeners. So then, uh, um, so if you were to impart any... Um, any new sage words of advice after you're going into the independent publishing scene, uh, John? I mean, what would you tell um, any any yet to be published authors, anyone thinking about becoming an author, writing their favorite stories, or anyone who is an author and maybe on the fence about joining you in that uh, in the the indie scene? The indie scene. I would say. I would say, of course. You know, you've got to write passionately. But I would say if you're going to become an indie author, you need to take uh, the mindset of a businessman or a businesswoman. Because you're not, you're not now just writing books. Now you're running the whole business from, you know, de- development to, to marketing and then the back end. Website stuff. There's, you're running the business, and so um, you need to go in with with that mindset. And then you also need to be realistic. The, the, the fact of the matter is this: most indie books don't sell very many copies at all. A lot mm-hmm. of people get into this with stars in their eyes, thinking, "Oh my gosh, I'm going to be like uh, you know Joe Conrath, or I'm going to be like." Um, you know, uh, Courtney Milan, or I'm going to be like Hugh Howie, and I'm going to just going to make it kill it and make a million bucks. And the fact of the matter is, 
most people don't sell. And so you've got to figure out, well, what is it that these bestsellers are doing? What will make it more likely for me? The odds are still stacked against all of us. They are. They're just stacked against all of us. But, but there are some things that can improve those terrible odds. And what are those things? And, um, and then I would go at it that way. That's, that would be my advice. That's great advice. Yeah, yep. absolutely. We're going to have to use smart. that advice. <laughs> well, we're not a business now? We're a business. I was going to say. But there's always good advice to use. <laughs> yes, that's very true. Yes. All right, so uh, when can we expect to start seeing book four, book four and hopefully book five on the shelves? Well, I am working right now. So I've got two series going. I've got the Dark God fantasy, epic fantasy series going. I've also got a modern-day thriller series going. And the first book is out. It's called Bad Penny. And it's been doing very, very, very well. And so the next book in the queue, one that I'm actually working on my writing outline, uh, my working outline right now is mm-hmm. the second one in that series. So that's awful intense. And I hope to have that available in five or six months. And then I turn my attention back to the Dark God series for the next book. So, so if everything goes well, this time next year, next August-ish, around there, we'll have the next book in the Dark God series. Mm. Awesome. Two books a year. That's not bad. Yeah, that's a good, good way to go. Oh. Well... Everyone out there, go pick up the uh, pick up servant curse and uh, raveler. raveler. You, yeah, you won't you won't regret it. Or bad or, penny. Or bad penny even. <laughs> uh, great great books uh, by author John Brown. And as always, every time I see him, he's wearing his plus twenty to pimpin shirt. I mean, he's always wearing a shirt just like Lagoon. His you know Hawaiian type style open, yeah. very comfortable shirt. So uh, that just gives you bonus points. You gotta buy it. So, um, well, no, thank you for coming on the show. It's you know, I, I know it's been a while, but you know, let us know when the next uh, the sequel to Bad Penny is coming out. We'd love to have you back on the show as well as when the next uh, Dark God uh, book comes out, and we'll just we'll just make this a habit. You know? Okay. Well, Sounds we'll have good. John Brown on every time, and we'll be we'll be cramming these books down your guys' throat because they're they're that great. They're awesome. So. Have a uh, John have a raspberry shake for me. <laughs> a raspberry shake, uh, oh, man. A shake up there. Oh, I know. Delicious. I need to make a trip just to to Logan just so I can swing up that way. I love Bear Lake a lot. So yeah. I may just come. Hey, you may find me when you guys come up, you let me know, and All the right. raspberry shakes will be on me. Okay. Ooh. Oh, wow. nice. Drew, we need to make yeah. a trip. Yep. Right. We'll see we'll <laughs> you tomorrow about 1.30, okay? <laughs> okay. All right. And I will take you to the place that has the best shakes, which is not any one of the fast food places. So. Sure. Ooh. This is local knowledge. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, okay. we'll have to do that. So thanks again for coming on the show, everyone. John Brown, find out, find his books. They're online, e-books, uh, you can get the hardback yeah, uh, or paper trade paperback trade on Amazon paperback. Uh, or even an ebook, correct? Yep. Yep. All right. Well, have a great day, you know, uh, evening. Thanks for putting up with the uh, technical issues and uh we'll be in touch. Okay. Thanks guys. All right. Thanks. Thank have you. a great night. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Right. John John's a great guy. What a great
successful author, businessman, and pikeman. Oh, he, John Brown, everyone. He is a great guy. You know, and the thing that I love about John is the fact that, you know, he got published by Pictor Books. Yeah, big publishing. Big, big And, publisher. you know, he stuck to his guns and what he felt he needed to do with his creative vision and said, hey, I can't do this. You know, and... And the, the the nice thing is, is Tor as a publisher allowed him his rights back. You know, sure. the, they could have just said no, screw you, and then that whole series would have been completely gone to him. Now I don't know why we lost Joe now. I, I can't hear you out of your mic. I can't hear you. What's going on? We this got we got the gremlins. It, it's crazy. I don't know. Anyways, you you may need to like move the mic up. Something like that. Now I can hear oh, you. Okay, there you are. Yeah. So, um, Magic. Yeah. Hello. You know, they let him have the rights back, yeah. and it's been a success, you know. But I really like the fact that he stuck to his gun and said, yeah. hey, this doesn't work for me, and he's going independent. He's like the Macklemore of fantasy, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Something like that. But, uh, like that. no, he's a great guy. You know, uh, at Comic Con, we we did a uh, yes, you're back on the. We did a uh, Firefly game that Larry Korea yeah. asked me to run, and John comes over and he's like, "Yeah, I'll just kind of sit here and uh, I might play a little bit, but th- then I'm gonna go." Uh-huh. We hooked John completely, yeah. hook line and sinker. He stayed the whole time and he had lots of fun. But he is playing a dishonored politician, and he was playing it well. I mean, he was like, I mean, he, yeah, I, I don't know. I can't hear you. Hello? Make sure your mic's on. Yeah, is your mic on? Hello? Am I plugged into the right yeah, side? There you go. Hey. So, um, you got to remember to plug me to the, what, the left side? Well, it just depends on where the button's at, but hey, you're, you're on left. So, uh, anyways. I like uh, harvest his kidneys, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's just lots and lots of fun, and he he was just. He was just, it was, he's a great guy. I like John. He's always very, very humble in, in what he does. And, you know, he, everyone needs to go pick up this book because it is a great fantasy series that is unique, has a very unique premise with the gods, and it's fun. It's a fun, fast read, even though it looks a little daunting because it's thick. Oh, yeah. Thick. Man, I burned through that book in three days. It, it's that great. And that's with working. Yeah, a full-time job on top of that. So I don't read that fast. Yeah, well, sorry. I'm sure some people don't, uh, but it had me hooked that much. You know, the first time I read it, it was just, I mean, I after talking with John, I ran. I mean, we were at LTUE. We interviewed him. I immediately said, hey, I got to run. Jumped in my car, went to the local bookstore and picked it up. I mean, it, it, it sounded that intriguing, so... Uh, everyone out there, go pick it up. Uh, there's three books, so you're not going to have to wait too long, but you'll have to wait a little bit for book four. But I think by the time most people, how they read, by the time you get through those those three books, four will probably be close to coming out. So, All right, we're going to take a small break, and then uh, we're going to come back with our second interview of the night with author Erin M. Evans uh, with her new book, Fire in the Blood, which is the sequel to the third book in the Sundering series, The Adversary. Fire and in the that Blood. Was Fire that in the Blood. It was. So we get to see uh, Frida and her sister finally make it to Cormir. And there is an all-out war and dark magic galore. So uh, uh, it is pre-recorded. So <laughs> Metal. 
it is. Uh, so it's just me and her. Unfortunately, like in the middle of the day and like last minute, last quick second. But uh, we got that for you tonight. It's about a 45 minute interview, so it will take some time, folks. Sure. But it is very informative. Plus, uh, she talks about a great charity event that she's in. Ooh. That, oh my gosh, it's such a unique idea. But we'll let you guys listen to it and let her uh, reveal that, and then we'll talk about it afterwards. Awesome. So, um, we'll play one song, a quick drop, and then we will jump immediately into that interview. All right, awesome. and this next half of the interview is going to be brought to you by Audible.com. So if you want to get your free audiobook, head to audiblepodcast.com forward slash Dungeon Crawlers Radio. Or even easier, click on the Dungeon Crawler or click on the Audible link in DungeonCrawlersRadio.com. It'll send you right there. Sign up, get your free book. If you don't want to pay the monthly fee, you can cancel that anytime. That free book is yours to keep and to have and to listen to your own uh, your own whims. This is a, literally a, a selection of thousands of books. It's not just you know five of the top selling tweeny books that uh, nobody really likes unless you're like four. It's it's everything. If so, you can read when you're yeah, <laughs> but if you like those books, you can get if those too. If you do like those books, you can get those. You you can get those. We're not going to judge you too hard, I'm, too harshly. So audible.com, <laughs> they're books that people read to you. All right. With that said, we'll be back. Here's Bloodbone. Hi, this is Ed. Hi, this is Ed Greenwood. You're listening. I'm running the soundboard real quick. Radio. Oh, you keep stopping it. All right. Well, I'm over here already on the thing, so I figured I'd be running it. All right. So. Yeah, you know, the whole too many cooks spoiled the broth here. Yeah. Hi, this is Ed Greenwood. You're listening to Dungeon Crawl's radio. Right. And crawl, baby, crawl. Play a quick song, and then we'll be back. Buffering, clicking. Hello. 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 Thanks for thanks for uh, taking some time out of your day uh, to do an interview with us. Oh, thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you just fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Apologize, we had to have you call in. We've been having some interesting quirks with our studio software and Skype. So. <laughs> Gotta love technology. Oh yeah. So, how have things been going since uh, your last book was uh, released, The Adversary? Pretty good. Pretty good. I'm ready good. for this one to come out. <laughs> yeah. Now, if uh, it comes out this, the 16th of October, right? The 14th. 14th. Sorry. 14th. 
Never trust the internet. Okay. One website the release for the 16th. party is on the 16th, so. That's what is probably I was saying. So, apologize. So, it's just around the corner then. Yes, it's coming up quick. Nice. Very nice. So, I guess we can just jump into things. Just start this off really quickly. Now, the next book, Fire in the Blood, uh, which continues on after the the uh, adversary, correct? Yes, yes it does. So, and it's, it's going to have fourth, the, fourth book in the Frida series. The Frida series. So, yes, yeah, so, they're calling it the Brimstone Angels Saga now. Brimstone good, Angel right? Saga. That's 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 pretty. Yeah. That's a mouthful, but it sounds <laughs> epic. Gives it kind of a, a fun twist. Yeah. So why why can I ask why the the series name change? Uh, well, originally um, the series was called Brimstone Angels. Uh, it was okay. so because the the um, the naming convention that that Wizards had decided on was that they would do, um, you'd have a book, uh, and it would, the series would be about a character, um, and then the next book would, would have the first book's title as the series title, and then its own title. So my first book was Brimstone Angels. Uh, the next book was Brimstone Angels, Lesser Evils. Um, but then the, then the Sundering came along, and as you know, frequently happens, they said, we're going to change everything about the way we were going to do the titles now. Um, and so then the adversary was just the adversary. Um, but then when it comes to Fire in the Blood, it's, I think it's actually labeled as a Brimstone Angels, uh, advers- or a Brimstone Angels novel and companion to the adversary or something. There was a lot of discussion about how exactly they were going to, to knit these two things together. Um, so, but, but in talking about Fire in the Blood and, and in the books coming forward, um, my editor has suggested we call it the Brimstone Angels Saga. It sounds, yeah, it sounds epic. <laughs> nice, it does. So in the new book, where are we going to see uh, Frida go? This is the book where they finally go to Cormier. Um, okay. For the whole, for basically the whole series that I've been, I've been trying to get to Cormier. Um, it was originally my plan for the second book. But then they asked me to write a book about Harper's and Gintarum. Uh, and then it was my plan for the third book. And then they asked me if I'd be interested in doing The Sundering. Um, so then it was the fourth book. And, and this time I was like, I really have to, guys. <laughs> I'm running out of ways to um, stretch that conflict out. Uh, unfortunately, it, they were really excited about about the, the concept. So this, this book it still takes place during The Sundering. Um, okay. And so this is Cormier. Um, you, you saw in The Sentinel a glimpse of Cormier at War. Uh, this is sort of, it starts earlier than the Sentinel, so you see that war develop and sweep through uh, Cormier and, and how um, how it comes out of it. Well, nice. So even though we kind of thought that the centering was over, this is kind of just another story that's happening while that's occurring then. Yeah, the I, I think the thing that's a little bit, it's easy to get kind of tripped up with is that the uh, so the sundering as sort of a marketing campaign is over. Um, yeah. The sundering as the focus of the the games and the adventures is over. Um, for the novels, you know, if we were all to skip ahead to 1490, which I think is the loose um, start date for um, fifth, sort of the fifth edition, uh, you'd miss a lot of things. You know, if I yeah. if that would be four years skipping four years between adversary and the next book. So, you know, to tell the best story, 
um, at least three of us are still in the Sundering time period um, because okay. the Herald ends at the you know pretty much at the end of the Sundering. I think Ed is into the new timeline, um, but for for Troy Denning and Ari Salvatore and myself um, and anybody else you know if, uh, that comes back into it, uh, they'll they'll probably be wrapping up things. But that, the nice thing is that there's there's lots of stories that, you know, when the Sundering kind of came to a close, people were like, well, we never got to see this. It's like, no, no, it's still coming. Um, so yeah. this one is sort of the war in Cormier uh, and how, you know, how did it get to be quite so bad and, and uh, how did they make it out? Nice. Well, I, I like the fact that you're not just jumping. You know, we kind of saw that. Yeah. At least in my feeling with, like, when the Spell Plague hit with 4th Edition rolling in, it's just like the storylines made this immense jump. And it's like, whoa, what happened to all this stuff? So I like the fact that you guys are still playing in that sandbox moving up to that point. I'm really glad that that they've said, you know, we want you to be able to do the best way you can. And that means you, you pick when it starts. Um, mm-hmm. you know, they, they want everybody moving forward and they, you know, uh, you're, you're aiming at getting there, but you know, it, it does feel a little bit tricky. I've had people ask me like, how does this book fit into, you know, fifth edition cosmology or how does, um, how did the, the fifth edition sort of rule changes affect you? And like, they kind of haven't yet in a lot of ways because, you know, in, in a, in the world, the, you know, there's still magic is still shifting, right? There's, there's not a hard line where it's like, okay, and now ritual magic works like this. Um, so, you know, you're kind of telling the story, um, in fire and the blood, for example, the war wizards, um, would have, you know, developed ways to use magic with the sort of the broken weave of spell plague. And now it's coming back together, um, as, you know, Elminster and, and his folks go around and repair it. So they're finding that sometimes they're casting spells and it's just all of a sudden it's so much easier and so it surges. And so kind of they're they're sort of redeveloping how they're doing magic um, little by little to as sort of a, a nod to the fact that now, you know, this this structure that, that, con- that controls how you do magic is in place again and, and that the rules have shifted a little bit. Nice. Now, are you finding it difficult to try to balance between the two, I guess, settings where we had the Spell Plague in 4th edition and now 5th edition as you're trying to weave your story to include both? No, because it is taking place through the transition, so you can kind of, um, you know, you stop and you say, well, if it looks like this and then it's going to look like this, how do you, you know, what does it look like when you move through? Uh, And... To me, that's interesting. I like this. One of the things I love about writing in shared world is that you take the pieces um, that can't move and you kind of extrapolate. Um, you you bounce off of things that that are would otherwise feel like they were in the way, um, mm-hmm. and 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 that helps you create the story. So you know, if you said if I were just making up my own world and I had it used to be like this and it's going to be like this, um, that could be fun. It's going to be a lot looser, but but having those pieces that definitely you know that can't move, um, it's it's a different. It's sort of like I've always I was likened it to writing poetry, right? You can write free verse, and writing free verse well is is tricky, but there is something different and and tricky in a different way about say writing like a pantoum that have a really strict structure, and that structure ought to be what kind of inspires you and and shapes the way you're telling your story. 
Hmm. Okay. Nice. Now, we also kind of see a darker side of magic in this book, correct? Which part? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, just, I mean, we see a lot of demons and there, there's a lot of yeah. war magic, it seems like, going on. Um, you know, and a lot, I wouldn't say all, most books, but a lot of books out there, it's kind of, you see a kind of a lighter side of magic, I would say, where it's, you know, Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's more defense and stuff like that. And this, it seems like we're going a little bit more into the darker stuff. Well, I think with, um, the, the, in Pole of the series, you know, she, Farida, draws magic from the Nine Hells. Her powers come from, you know, this very dark and evil plane. Um, she herself is not evil. And, and you know, I, I kind of set out to say, how do you make a, a, a good warlock PC, basically? Like, what's the story that would take there? Um, so then, and, and with, you know, with the war wizards and things, I think there is a certain amount that when you play D and D, you know, you gravitate toward the magic, the destructive magic. Um, I know mm-hmm. in, in the game I play in now, um, our wizard is really frustrated. I think like, like cantrips, like, like, um, mage hand where it's, it doesn't do anything. You can't hurt anybody with it. You can't stop a bat, smack a bad guy with mage hand. Um, and cause, cause he wants those big blow up spells, um, and that's, you know, that's always been what the war wizards are for. They're the defense of Cormier. Um, and, you know, while they're at battle, uh, it's pretty important. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, I, and I think, you know, within the game that that's, that is sort of, there's a more weight on it, but then there, there are sort of the, you know, more utilitarian. I, and, and I, I like that sort of magic where, you know, what, if we really had magical powers, um, you know, in a, in a medieval sort of setting, I, I feel like it would be more likely you'd be using it to figure out how to preserve food, you know, or yeah. um, make it hotter or colder, you know, do the things that we had to use technology to do. I like practical magic. So, um, you know, one of the things that I haven't quite figured out how to negotiate the ritual magic changes, but um, one of the characters, Doll, that's sort of his whole stick is he's really good at ritual magic, which is largely this kind of practical thing. So he uses it at one point to copy a document. Um, he uses it to um, kind of temporarily learn a language. Uh, there's a war wizard spell where he he uses it to make Farida look human, and he kind of adds a little flourish on it so that she looks like she would look when she, if she were human, um, which is mostly just him showing off. You know, a disguise spell, it would be so much easier if he's just like, okay, and now you look like this random noblewoman I know. Um, yeah. But, you know, he likes to show off. So he he goes, look, I made this fancy spell. Um, so, I mean, those are, that's the kind of magic I prefer to write about. But I think for the setting and for the events, yeah, the destructive magic, it's a much kind of bigger spot on screen. Yeah. Now, you kind of brought up a good, uh, an interesting point while you're talking there. So Frida pulls her magic from the nine hells, but she herself isn't evil. Um, I mean, where, how do you find a balance or how uh, an explanation for that? Because I, I know, you know, people out there that want to play a good character, but maybe you know a tiefling or something that wants that you know their powers draw from there. How mm-hmm. how is that possible? I mean, how do you visualize it or how have you explained it? I think for me, it's it's what is the reason she has she wants this power and what's the reason she accesses it. 
Um, she originally takes her pact. She originally makes the pact kind of by accident. Um, she sort of gets talked into it and doesn't realize what she's agreeing to. Um, but the reason she does is because she's so afraid of what the world might do to her sister. Her sister Havilar is um, a lot more reckless. She's a lot less aware of sort of the, the prejudices of other people and what they can do to her. Um, obviously, by fire in the blood, she's she's becoming more aware of it. And and Farida is just sort of convinced on some level that, you know, some point Havilar is going to cross a line and someone's going to hurt her, you know. And and this is what Lorcan, the, the half-devil she has the pact with, offers her. He says, you can protect her. You can protect her. You can protect everybody in this village. They live in a village of people who have basically – left Jared Thymar or uh, who are tieflings who've left their societies and the whole the whole idea is that they've gone here to kind of escape um you know these this of these other societies that just don't they don't fit into and and he says her you know you can you can keep them safe and that's what she wants she wants to keep people safe she wants to make sure the bad things don't get them um and then he, he hands her this tool which you know is is kind of bad i think that on some level you could argue that, you know, if, if the powers of the nine hells come from, you know, corrupted and condemned souls, those people were already bad. Um, that, that, that isn't, in, you know, intrinsically uh, going to, to damn you. But that, the, in, you know, the entire time, you know, devils are going to be kind of trying to coerce her into crossing a line. Um, mm-hmm. And she's so far been very firm about not doing that. You know, she doesn't want to hurt people. You know, aside from, you know, someone's trying to hurt you, you, you stop them. Um, she doesn't want power. She doesn't really want uh, to, you know, become this all-powerful archmage, even if it means no one can hurt her. She doesn't – She there's a point in Fire in the Blood where um, a devil is sort of making her – making overtures to her, and she sort of rejects every one of these things because someone is going to get hurt if she takes it. Uh, and I think that's it. Like you, you have to get down to who is this character, and you know what keeps what grounds them, what keeps them from crossing that line um, into selfishness, into you know not considering you know the means and the end. Hmm. No, I, I like that. So basically, you're showing that magic is a tool, whether it comes from a good source or an evil source, and it's really the individual's moral code which makes it whether they fall to you know fall from grace or stick to their stick to their guns i guess so yeah. I, that's, and then, that's amazing and fundamentally like fundamentally she can't know whether or not she's she's damned right that's yeah. that's kind of above her pay grade um so there is always that fear but you know i think on a certain level she's you know come to accept that that's the price you know if that's the price of making sure that her family doesn't get you know killed by crazy bigots or something that that she can stop you know she can help stop shade from um hurting all the the chosen that in that camp or um help cormier keep its head above water you know that, that maybe that price is worth it um you know so she's making that self-sacrifice of her own you know eternal damnation for the safety of <laughs> it's a, the, those I, I, that it's she a little, loves yeah, it's a little, it's a little less like definitively heroic than that because she doesn't know. I mean, yeah. Um, well, I think that lends a a, a, a nice bit of a, a characteristic to the character itself because, you know, she's doing these things. She does. She's not sure whether you know 
using this type of magic, which could be viewed as evil, is, you know, saving her or damning her. But she still, her moral code is simply, I need to protect, you know, the people I care about above all, even myself. So, yeah, Yeah. and that's a great driving force in a character. I mean, that's amazing. So, you know, I I know we've been building up to getting to Cormir. So why did you choose Cormir of all places in the realms to go to? (laughs) Oh, I didn't know what I was getting into. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I picked it originally when I wrote Brimstone Angels. um, Farida and Pablo are tieflings. Their adoptive father is a dragonborn. They're really the weird characters. Um, And that's something I really wanted. But I also knew early, early on that I would have a lot easier time uh, writing this story and getting people invested in this story if I had a human character that you could kind of latch on to while you were getting to understand, you know, Frida and Havilar were not that weird. They just looked weird. Um, and same thing with the hand. Uh, so I, I had Bryn. I added Bryn. And, and what I wanted for him was to come from just a really quintessentially human place. And I picked Cormier because I'm like, That's, that is pretty darn human. Um, you know, Cormier's it's, it's pretty homogenous in a lot of ways. Uh, you, you have, there are, you know, character NPCs that have appeared that are um, like Kaladni um, was part Tarami. You've got like occasionally a half elf. There are elves sort of up in the forest, but they don't, there's a lot of friction there. So it's really just some very human uh, kingdom. Um, and that's, that's what I was interested in. Um, and then I had asked, I, I had this idea that he could be, um, fleeing because he's in line for the throne and his family is trying to push him up the line because they don't have a better claimant. Um, noble families in Cormier being kind of crazy. Uh, and I had asked Ed Greenwood, you know, is there a place I can fit him in to this, this royal line? Uh, and, and he gave me <laughs> he gave me a spot, me not quite knowing um, how much that was going to kind of entrench me in, in Cormier, uh, because Bryn is basically, like, after the royal family, it's him. Um, he's the, the grandson of the previous crown prince um, wow. out of, from an out-of-wedlock birth. So, well, <laughs> she was married. He wasn't. So it's uh, – but, but the current king has already – legitimized one of his brother's bastards. So he's, he's mm-hmm. kind of a softy. You know, he wants to make sure you don't leave family out in the cold. So, you know, this, this is hanging over Bryn's head is the legitimization of his father. And once his father's legitimized, he's legitimized and he becomes, you know, a, a, a claimant for the throne. And his family has a lot more power all of a sudden and they're going to push a lot harder um, to, to, to get him even closer. And, and he knows that if that happens, that's going to cause a, a serious problem Um you know, maybe even a civil war. Cormier's never had a succession succession issues like this. You don't usually legitimize bastards, you know. Um, mm. So there's trouble a brewing. Uh, but so you know, once you have that, <laughs> it starts to every every book that that it, I have to wait. Um, that that problem grows. That family is making more inroads. There, you, you can't really assume like, oh no, they're just twiddling their thumbs. This is a big big deal to them. So. I like that. Uh, you know, it kind of goes on to something we see on our show quite a bit when people are playing the, their their D&D sessions. The world is still spinning around them even though they're on their adventures. 
So, you know, exactly. even though they're 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 going through the dungeon to collect this magical artifact, you know, the machinations of governments and uh, groups and that are still moving in the back, you know, around you and, you know, things are are event either getting better or worse depending on, you know, the climate of what's going on. And I, I like that, that even though we have the, the main story, you still have that kind of backstory moving and things are people are manipulating and, you know, getting things in ready or kind of ready for a possible civil war or a throne, you know, going after the throne. So that that's that's great. That's, I think that's so fun in the games. I mean, it can be a little bit um, daunting. Some our our DM frequently will be like, you know. She's got like a counter going in the background. So if we're not fast enough at something, we're going to miss, you know, an opportunity. And, and when we first started playing, it was fun because um, three of our players are brand new and they were used to Warcraft where, you know, you know, if you skip this, you can come back to it later. So there was a lot of like bickering <laughs> over loot. And meanwhile, the robbers we're chasing are getting away. And, and yeah. me and the, the other guy who had been playing a while, we're just like, Screw it, we're leaving you behind in this skeleton pit while you argue over who gets the rusty arrows because we're gonna miss out. And yeah. you know, it, but it was fun and they and they got the sense of like, oh no, things matter. All these little things matter, and it it's just it, oh, they've been so much fun to play with, especially as they've gotten used to it. Nice so, sidebar. <laughs> yeah, I know that that sense of urgency needs to be there because you know if. You're racing towards this town because you know there's a dragon or an army coming, you know, and you're taking your sweet time going through every door and every chamber in this castle to find the best loot. That army is going to arrive. Right. So, no, that's great. I mean, that's that's. I, I like what you and the other person did. It's like, okay, who cares about these rusty arrows? Or, you know, the guy's getting away. Bicker on that. We'll, we'll, you know, I think a lot of people, when they're gaming, lose that perspective because, like, oh, I got to get the best this and that. And I think, unfortunately, Warcraft or these other MMORPGs that are out there have kind of, you know, taken players away from that mindsetting of that urgency because, like, you're right. Oh, I can just come back later. I can go pick right. up that you armor. Right, you can't do that. I mean, I don't know. I, there might be MMOs out there that do do that, but I, don't, I think it would be really hard. I mean, if that's yeah. really how you want to play, that's fine. But I think you're missing, yeah, you're missing out on something really cool that an RPG can do, um, which is it can immerse you in another world. And if you know the world is is revolving literally like revolving around you, you, you kind of you lose a little of it. Yeah. Now, do you find yourself kind of pulling in things or experiences that you've had while role playing into your books when you're writing, especially like if you're in <laughs> writing Forgotten Realms? So, uh, not in some ways yes, and in some ways no. Um, I told Car- like, like Farida actually was very, very, very loosely based on a character I played with the same name. Um, she was also a Tiefling warlock. She had a Fey pact, and uh, but she did have a twin sister. Um, but you know, after that, I just kind of. I the thing is that 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 what works in a game and what you do for a game doesn't necessarily jibe with. Um, what you do for uh, for a novel, um, and, and like a really good example of that is that you know my Frida had a twin sister. Uh, her name was Tamura, and Tamura, I mean Tamura was created for my friend to have a fun time, right? To to play the character she wanted to play, and what I needed was Havilar. I needed a character to be a foil for Frida. Um, I needed her to be a lot younger. I needed her to be, I mean, 
I, I played that character really snarky, and it just wouldn't have worked. Um, so a lot of that changed. I steal NPC names sometimes from my DM because, like, uh, for for Fire in the Blood, some of the war wizards were um, rangers we encountered because I, you get to a point where you're just like, I can't think of any more names. Um, yeah. There are some imps that appear, uh, and one of them is named after my uh, Farida, my PC's uh, familiar mod, um that my DM voiced. And again, it's sort of like he was he was really snarky and and rude and funny, um, and it didn't work. So this is a totally different character. Um, and I think that's the thing is that when you're playing a game, you know, a lot of the time what you're doing is is meant to kind of be fun for everybody uh, at that table. And, and it's a tricky thing. You know, I, I've never successfully DM'd a game. I'd love to. But um, when <laughs> I do, I get too into the idea of how you do it like a book. Um, yeah. And it means I'm a total control freak DM and I'm not letting any – I'm really not putting everybody's fun at the forefront. But I think that's an important part of the way you play the game is making sure that everybody is enjoying themselves, which doesn't always lend itself to a great narrative. Um, yeah. Uh, so I, it hasn't come up that there's been something where I can pull anything bigger than that. Um, but the, I think what I shoot for is the, the feel of um, kind of playing D&D, that there's, you know, that, that there's always something kind of wondrous happening. In the realms, I feel like magic is, it's not, I, I, sometimes I think people in, assume that in the realm of magic is everywhere and it's cheap. Um because I think sometimes when you play D&D, you get used to it just being like, oh, yeah, let's go pop a healing potion. Um, yeah. But it should be something that people, you know, have an experience with and that it, I, I feel like making it be something sort of wondrous. I try to put at least like one kind of wondrous thing in there to remind you, you know, magic is this big, amazing thing. Um, and, you know, making sure that there's there's something that I would I wouldn't, I would have fun, you know, running into. Um, in Lesser Evils, they explore an underground library uh, tomb of an ancient Netherese arcanist. And, you know, I had a lot of people say, I am totally going to run this for, I'm going to adapt this and run it for my players because it was like such a weird, trappy kind of haunted house feeling. You know, there were ghosts there. There were weird, you know, traps you had to disable. And, um, but you had a feeling that, that this was sort of like a space that was out to kill you in a way. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in, in Fire in the Blood, there's there's some scenes that take place down in the tunnels in Cormier, which I always thought was a really interesting aspect of the city, that there are these underground um, passages that sort of link into the sewers that, that are sort of, in some some ways, they're used for smuggling, and in some ways it's sort of like the crown looks the other way. In other areas, the crown, you know, it canonically puts a bunch of traps there because they don't want you smuggling. Um, and it's sort of an interest. it would be an interesting place to have, uh, you know, a, a, a an encounter um, or just, you know, how do you, you use the tools from the game to solve problems? And sometimes I think it's fun to sort of, you, you twist it a little bit. Like how do you break into the palace? You know, if you needed to get a message in or um, how would you, how would you track down someone you can't find with magic? Um, and you kind of look at like what's in the book and you kind of problem solve. And I think that's another thing I really like about playing the game is, if you have all these tools, which ones are you going to use? Mm-hmm. Nice. Now, what is it like when you're developing these ideas? Because you mentioned, you know, with your one character, you had to go to Ed to see how he mm-hmm. could fit in here. You know, what is it like going to 
to Ed Greenwood saying, hey, this is my idea. This is what I'd like to do. And then he's, and it's like he opens up his gigantic tome of the realm saying, okay, <laughs> well, we can put him here. I mean, because, I mean, he's been working on this since he, I, six, seven, I, I can't remember the yeah. exact age. And and he's continuing to work on this, you know, it's, and it's just continuing to grow. You know, what is it like, you know, kind of being said, okay, you're in this section of my world now. Go. I mean, that, that's, that has you know, to be overwhelming. I, it's a little, it's, it, I've done it for so long that it's sort of become like, oh, it's this Tuesday. Um, but, I, you know, <laughs> I am always scared when I tell Ed an idea because I, I want him to like it. Um, mm. You know, that's, if, if he didn't, I would just, it would break my heart and then have to go back to the drawing board. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, he's been very excited about everything uh, that I, I brought to him. Like, it just, it just makes me dread the day. He's like, oh, no, uh-uh, don't do that. Um yeah. But and it's it's funny too because you go to him with questions and you think this is going. I just want to make sure there's not an answer for this. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I don't know how many there were. And in in in, in actually in uh, Fire in the Blood, for a lot of it, he sort of outsourced me. Um, there's a designer, Brian Cortijo, who's also sort of the the Carmelian expert. Um, and and Ed has kind of said, okay, you know, if people have questions about Cormier, you know, you have the answers. So he had written several articles for Dragon, and I asked him about those, about details in those. He actually sort of char- created the characters um, of Raedra and Barovis and Ospra, um, some of the expanded royal family, and he, he put more detail into Ervil and Erzred. So, um, you know, I, I kind of went home, and I'm like, I asked him stuff, and I, I, I sort of said, this is what I'm doing, and, and I'd really like your blessing. Um, and, and got, you know, a little more, some, some ideas on how to, how to flesh those out and differentiate them a little better um, from my characters. Um, but for Ed, like, yeah, you go to him and you ask a question, like, I, the best one I can think of is when I was writing Lesser Evils, I needed a particular kind, I needed a stone that was really identifiable. I needed the characters to be able to look at this and go, um, this comes from this part of these mountains. Um the, the, the character who's sort of an expert on those things, not just anybody. And, you know, I went to him and I said, do you know of any place in the mountains near Waterdeep that would have a kind of granite with a grain that was particularly identifiable? And he said, in the nether mountains on the uh, the eastern side, there's a vein of orbicular granite and some new pictures. And I'm just, I, I was really expecting him to say, no, go ahead and make it up. Um, and I think that's actually the biggest danger is that, um, you know, so it's hard to tell sometimes what is occurring to him in the moment because it's just, you know, you do this enough, it gets down in your veins and you just spit out something. Like, wouldn't yeah. this be cool? And, you know, I tell him every time, I'm like, there's not an answer. You don't have to do that for me. It's cool. Um, but, you know, he, he'll get really excited and, like, have to find the perfect little detail or, or spot because, you know, it, it might be that there's, you know, two people out there who've read every source book and every dragon article and remember the time that, you know, this Luscarl root was mentioned and they will recognize it when I say this is carved out of Luscarl root. But, you know, I know it's there and, and, and Ed knows it's there. And it's, it, it, I think it contributes to that feeling of the world being a continuous living place. Yeah. Well, I, I I don't know how you do it. I mean, 
Ed, Ed's a great guy, and he was always really happy and jovial and excited every time we've talked to him. But, you know, w- what happens to that one day? Because he has that voice where he can just get down there and it's like, no. And it's like, ah. <laughs> I mean, I, I I would literally just cringe like, okay, and like want to shy away. I mean, I don't ever see that coming from him, but, you know, it just seems like. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I He's very good at working with you. So if you... So if you need something, he'll help you figure out how to get that to work. Um, and he's, he, you know, he's really enthusiastic about other people playing with this world. So nice. he's he's usually he's usually inclined to say yes, um, yes, but or um, yes and then uh, no. Uh, so I know there were examples, and now I'm I'm, I'm blanking on them because there were a couple of times where I was like. I want to do this. Is this a thing? And he's like, no, that's not a thing. And I said, well, this is what I need to happen. And um, I, I really need it to be this. And maybe we could be, you know, this could be the circumstances or something. And he's like, ah, okay, this family does and, and so on and so forth. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's, he's a, an invaluable resource um, and, and just is really amazing the amount of, of love and detail that he's put into the world. That's amazing. Now, in your writing, while you're writing, what is kind of the, I guess, how much for every, we'll say, hour of writing, how much research are you having to do uh, for the realms? Because, I mean, it is vast. And yeah. you, know, you do have to pull from all these different sources, Dragon, the source, uh, the, the actual books, Ed, um, you know, other campaign books. I mean, how much research are you pu- putting in? for every hour of writing, do you think? I'm not good at estimating time, unfortunately. Oh, okay. um, no, but, but it is, I mean, it is a fair amount. It's not, it's probably not as much as it, it looks like it's going to be. For for a lot of things, um, the other day I had a question about um, a, a god in the Unseric Pantheon, and Nat Cernet is sort of the continuity guy on Watsi's end. I said, you know, can you send me anything that has this name in it. And so, you know, I get this huge dump of documents because he was in the middle of working on the monster manual at the time. So a huge dump of documents and the vast majority of them are the same sentence. Um, okay. You know, for this this case, it was, a, it was a pretty minor thing, but because the world is so big, a lot of that material um, does kind of end up boiling down to a paragraph or two that's kind of expanded on here and contracted here. Um, for other places like Cormier, there is so much written about it. There's so many novels. There's so many source books. Um, and so that one's a little trickier, and that's where you know, having someone you know, that you can send, shoot an email to um, is really valuable. And, you know, and there are scenes, you know, a lot of it is front-loaded, um, figuring out, and, and, and a lot of the questions, um, you, you, you figure out the feel of it before you start um, the uh, then and then a lot of the questions are just little things that you don't have to ans- have answered to keep writing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, what's the name of the person well, who would be? Uh, I'll position? just have a couple questions left, yeah. and then I'll, I'll let you go because I, I don't want to take too much of your time today. But um, you know, when what is it like? I mean, kind of because you have been playing role playing. You've I'm sure you've played in the realms. What is it like now to have your character that you've written about pretty much cemented? In Forgotten Realms lore, I mean that's just got to be really kind of like, cool. Yeah. It, it is. I mean, it, I think there's something really special about um, having a character that 
that that's a part of something bigger like that, and and having a character that people, you know, um, there for for Fire in the Blood, they actually did up um, stats to use Farida as an NPC in your game, um, and that's something that people had been asking me for, but. I don't know how to do that. That's not my Ballywick. Um <laughs> So, you know, that, that feeling of, you know, I think every author likes finding things like, you know, fan art or fan fiction because there's a sense of yeah. um, people care enough about your books that they, they want more. And um, there's, there's something really special about that. And then the really wonderful thing about a shared world um, with, with things like a role-playing game and video games and comics attached is that those, those are already built in. They're already there for people. Um, so you know it's it's really wonderful that that people that that people at Wizard and people reading have you know been attached enough to Farida to say we want her to be part of this too. Um, I can't think of anything better. <laughs> oh, I mean that, that sounds great. Now, um, is there another book that we're going to see Farida in after this one, or is that still up in the air? Or is there any other projects you're working on? Uh, I have two more Farida books on contract. Uh, I'm working on one that I, I think we've decided is called Ashes of the Tyrant, like this morning decided. Um, oh. there might, there, I might be, there's, I might have the articles wrong, but we're going to say it's Ashes of the Tyrant. Um, and then there's one more, which I've tentatively called King of Dust. So, uh, and that's, that sort of forms one full arc of uh, this, sort of the story of Farida and Asmodeus. Okay. Um, and then we'll see. Uh, they, you know, they they have you know left the door open to keep writing um, these character-based series, but I, I never like to <laughs> I never like to say anything definite if I don't have a contract in my hand. Um, no. And then of course, you know, I'm working on other other projects that are you know uncontracted and not de- no no deadlines in place. So. Nice. So there's lots of work and lots more stuff uh, coming down the road. Yes. <laughs> nice. Um, you know. The books are are very enjoyable, great reads. Um, I mean, everyone I've picked up, you know, I've read, you know, Ed Greenwood and Bob Salvatore for years now. I mean, I could probably, you know, I'll, I'll age myself decades at this point. Um, and then picking up these books, I mean, they're just as great as Bob's or or even um, uh, Elaine Cunningham or uh, Paul Kemp's. I mean, they're just great books. You know, you pick it up and it's like you're you're hooked and you want to see what happens with the character. And, and you know, and I hate saying this, but there are, are some authors out there where they write and it's like, okay, you know, you're reading the story, but you're not as entrenched in the story as you'd want to be that you have to read the next chapter. Or, you know, you're sitting in bed with the light on and you know it's 1 o'clock and you have to get to bed to go, go to work the next day. And it's like, <laughs> oh, I can't shut this. But, I mean, I found, you know, the book, you know, The Adversary, Lesser Evils, really great books, and it, it hooks you like that. It's like, oh, I can't put this down. So, you know, congratulations on being able to do that. And wonderful you know, to hear. I, I, yeah. I, like, I really strongly feel that the, that the most important thing you can do is, is craft characters people care about. Oh, yeah. Like, if yeah. the plot is, is really ripping, but the characters are boring, like, you're just not going to get that response. Like, you don't, no, no. you don't care what happens to them on a certain level. So I'm really glad to hear that. Yeah, no, and, and I'm going to put put it out there that any, you know for any of our listeners that if they haven't read the books, they need to because they they are that great. Um, and, you know, especially if they love El, El Minister stories or any of the Dritz stories, go go get them because I, these are great books. So um, you know, 
book releases October 14th on bookshelves everywhere on Amazon. I'm assuming Audible, uh, an audiobook's coming out as well that they can get on uh, Audible yeah, or anywhere I else. Think, I think it's coming out the same day, um, but I'm not nice. sure on the Audible page. Wow. So, I mean, that's even better. All three, you know, all three formats, even uh, ebook as well. Yes. Yes. Wow. Okay. Wow. October fourteenth. Everyone, run out and grab it. Yes. So, uh, is there any other words of wisdom you could leave before we let you go for any potential or budding or inspiring authors out there? Keep at it. Um, the hardest part of, of writing is, is getting the words down and making sure you keep it up even when it doesn't feel like anything's working. We all have those moments. You will never get past it. <laughs> That's the best thing I can say. I will also, um, I just really quick wanted to point out, um, for I am participating in a charity event for Extra okay. Life on October 25th. Um, the, a 24-hour D&D game with the uh, the Wizards team. If you go to Extra Life and search for my game, you can uh, donate, or you can also donate to the DM and unlock some monsters for us to fight. But it's for a good cause for Children's Miracle Network. Um, so I hope you, your listeners will check that out. I hope so, too. That sounds amazing. Man, how so can I get on that? Jeez. <laughs> I'm doing it for this year. I am doing um, donations as votes for what character I will play. So depending on, you know, if you're willing to donate, um, you know, if you can donate like $15, you can vote for some characters. I'm a little, I'm a little more comfortable playing. And if you're willing to donate, I think it's $45. Uh, you can vote for me to play Lorcan. So wow. please, please don't, please don't vote for Lorcan. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a brilliant idea for a charity, especially, you know, they can contribute money and then you end up having to fight some really nasty, horrible monsters. I mean, that, that's that's an ingenious idea. So, and if you don't wow. have players, we have, we have sort of threshold things. So if you, you know, if we, if we uh, I just, I think, unlocked a, an extra healing potion um, or, and higher up, the, I think the top, the reward that the DM set was we could start two levels higher. Um, if we can oh. raise two thousand dollars, <laughs> um, but last specific... year I did it and it was a lot of fun. Cool. Is there a specific website they need to go to for that? Uh, Extralife.org. Um, okay. And then if you search for uh, Dungeons and Dragons team, I think is is the the group. If you search for Aaron M Evans, you can find my page. <laughs> okay. Um, and if you want to, if you really do want to donate to the DM, um, then you can you can find my team off of that. So. All right. Well, again, I'm going to let remind our listeners to go do this great charity, super fun, and you can watch uh, Aaron and everyone else. And yeah, have the, to... the game the game will be uh, broadcast on Twitch all 25 hours of it. So if you want to pop wow. in and watch watch a bunch of designers and authors and um, other such luminaries uh, act silly, <laughs> and I think we're running I think we're running Heart of the Dragon Queen, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Um, nice. Well, that that sounds super exciting and lots of fun. So I just want to say thank you for coming on the show again and spending all this time thank with us. Thank you so and, much for having me. Yeah, as always, we'd love to have you back on the show. It's always uh, enjoyable and, and lots of fun. And everyone, go buy the book because you won't regret it. Thank you. So, <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for your time. And uh, you know, just keep in touch, and we'll have you back on the show anytime. Great. I'll, okay. I'll let you know. Okay, thanks, and have a great okay. day. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, we're back. We're back. <laughs> Whee! This, uh, 
that this charity is amazing. So they're going to run 25 hours go straight of what was that? Sorry. <laughs> wow. 25 hours That's straight of D&D on Twitch. That's awesome. And not only that, you can jump on there and you can contribute money and then decide what they're fighting. It's like the Hunger Games. It kind of is. <laughs> but not only that, before they even start, you can contribute so much money and then determine who each of the people are playing. That's so cool. you can determine who Aaron's playing. Yeah. Or, and it sounds like maybe Bob Salvatore's in there. Or... Do you think she shot herself in the foot by asking not to play that character? Yeah, I think yeah. she did. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, oh, or, maybe, maybe. or maybe she's doing reverse psychology exactly. and that's who exactly. she wants to play. <laughs> <laughs> but um, because you know she did study anthropology, if I believe. Yeah, yeah. I'm pr- so. I'm pr- yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw an episode of the Lucy show where that was like this. Yeah, yeah. yeah Lucille Ball was just like, I don't want to play that character, yeah. and then she totally did. Yeah, nice. But it's it's an ingenious idea for a charity. Can we rip it off? And, and I think, yeah, <laughs> I, I totally think totally we should. Can. We, it, should we have totally a Twitch account. We can run 24 hours Excellent. with our game. Yeah. I'll, I'll be snorting monster by the end. And, and then know, I'll be right? just sitting there. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Sorry. You guys. You guys enter into a cavern. And guess what? Someone just paid $100, so you're facing a Baylor. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. I think oh a Baylor would have to be at least $1,000. $1,000? At least $1,000 <laughs> for a Baylor. Drow. A, 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 an army, or not an army, but a, a, a scouting group of Drow would be $100. You have to face five Mind Flayers for 100 bucks. For 100 bucks. Screw that, man. Like... Just no. a little pack of kobolds would terrify I, me. I, oh, I know, right? You know, we would do this. You probably have someone that donates like 500 bucks for yep. Fagoon to play some broken old little gnome that has like a, yeah. a strength of four. I could make it work. You could? I could make it work. I'll make it work. His I con- wouldn't do much, but I could make it His work. His constitution is eight. He constantly wets himself. And hey, that's not a, that is not a uh, one of the memories. Yeah, dude, thing. you don't need to pay five hundred bucks. I'd do that for free. Yeah, <laughs> you can make a badass wizard just floats around on a tensor's floating disc. You don't need to be strong, right? Yep. Can't walk because you got a strength of four, but just float around and just float around. Do yeah. your thing. He's got an intelligence of twenty, there but he go. wets himself daily. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be so funny. Uh, no, I, I think it's a great idea. We should probably do something. You know, yeah. Find a charity we contribute to and uh, do something like that. Hey, people, let us know via Twitter or Facebook or something if that sounds like a good yeah, idea. Fired. Hey, Zakora, where, where can they let us know on Twitter about that? Oh, yeah. DCR underscore show. Bam. There you go. That's like the best Twitter handle Or just ever. look up Dungeon Crawlers yeah, Radio on YouTube, on yeah. our Facebook page, our Google Plus, or our website. Yeah, I think we'd be down with that. We are, we are everywhere. We are way down. We're yep. going to do that. So yeah. we are dwindling down on the show. We have Dwindle. eight and a half minutes left. Oh, oh. That's, all? that's all. However, so let's talk about next week. Next week uh, starts the Rise of the King book tour uh, with R.A. Salvatore. And we are part of that book tour. And R.A. Salvatore himself will be returning to the show to talk about Rise of the King, the next Dark Elf book. Oh, really? It's amazing. I cannot wait to get that on my next uh, um, Audible. Uh, get that on, get that on. Look, I just finished uh, Night of the Hunter. Oh my gosh, that is the is that, best ending ever. Is it not an amazing book? That was a uh, awesome ending. Uh, just what the that. gods gift Bruner was pretty sweet, but then oh, that you, had, 
like that had that that was nothing. I was like, no. oh yeah, that's pretty cool. But that then, was cool. But then the next scene after yeah, that, yeah, no, no, the oh. ending was amazing. Uh, I, I totally agree. I'm excited to see what happens uh, in this book. Um, it's just I love where they're going with Forgotten Realms now that Fifth Edition is out. The Sundering. Well, this is kind of the thing that Aaron brought up with this book. Why this book is going on? The Sundering is still happening. Mm-hmm. So even though by the end uh, of the Sundering series with El Min- with uh, Ed Greenwood's book with El Minister, there's a huge gap there. Yeah, she's like, and some of these books, you know, Bob, what he's doing is still happening in that Sundering period. What she's doing is still happening. So we're not going to have like what happened with the spell play where it suddenly boop we jumped several hundred you know hundred years, years and, and then... it's like okay wow what happened here they're still progressing yeah. up to that final point which i love i really do lo- love that uh so we're going to be seeing some pretty cool stuff happening you know like you know we know when we went to gen con last year how we had the rise of the drow where they were coming up out of the underdark that's what's going on right now uh and i mean there you see this you know, in the book, you have this wizard that casts this, the darkening, which literally blackens the sky, and he, he can't stop himself. I mean, yeah. he's in the midst of the spell, and it's going to kill him. And Gromp is just, you know, Gromp Van Ray is just like, well, whatever. Walks away. You know, typical drow. Uh, it's finally, you know, we we knew. There's been hints, but it's finally been thrown out there. You know, Jarlaxle's true family heritage, you, you know, in all of its glory, and there's so many things that you've seen in past books that have been brought back and everything's tying together in a nice, beautiful bow. So, uh, I'm excited. I'm excited. If you haven't read this book, if you haven't read this book, oh my gosh, you need to. Um, I do know Tuesday night, uh, Ed Greenwood and R.A. Salvatore are doing a Google Hangout. Uh, there have been, you can, uh, go to Wizards' site, see if you can, uh, join that and be a part of that. Uh, it'd be pretty cool. Uh, there's a lot of cool things that are going to be happening, and you're going to find out there. Uh, not only that, there is uh, there's lots of stuff. I mean, just lots of stuff happening. Uh, the week after this next th- Thursday, we're going to have Jonathan Ryan coming in talking about Three Gates. Uh, his n- book kind of fits in. Uh, we're also in the works to bring Paizo on to talk about their new hardback book coming out this next year called The uh, Cult Ventures, which... Fits in with our Halloween theme, uh, and then we'll uh, we'll wrap things up quite nicely. So the thirtieth, we have a show that Thursday, the day before Halloween. We'll have some fun. Uh, I, d- I don't know what yet, but we'll we'll decide and we'll come <gasps> up with something really Costume fun. Costume party! Oh yeah! Yay! It's not the first time Dr- Joe's dressed up coming to the show. Nope, I'm dressing up. Maybe we we broadcast that one on Twitch. There you go. <laughs> Everyone can see Joe in his yeah. costume finally. <laughs> Is it going to match the uh, types of characters that you typically play in games, Joe? Are you going to have a little dress on? Little... I might. Okay. Who knows? Who knows? Depends on what character I played last week. Because like I said, I, go, right. I, I just split let's, it. So. Let's time this, guys. We need him to play a dude the week before Halloween. <laughs> so if someone wants to donate know. money. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> to a good cause, of course. Of course. The donate D- charity. Yeah. Yeah, the, the DCR charity. Yeah. We need new equipment. No, uh, uh, you know. We've got a lot of fun stuff. We've got some great ideas coming up. Uh, we'll be talking about some things next week that yep. we're going to start unveiling to, to everyone. Um, you know, last week we had the five-minute book uh, monster manual book review by Joe. You're going to be yep. seeing a lot more of that. <laughs> five uh, minutes. 
the You Geek magazine guys contact me today, uh, talking with them every third Thursday. They're going to come in and sit down with us for about 15, 20 minutes to talk about uh, their magazine and some random geek thing. Uh, help uh, promote their magazine, promote us, um, because we're going to be doing some cross promotion. And so, and there's some more segments that are going to be rolling out that we're going to be bringing to everyone. So we're going to be doing monthly segments. Um, there's a lot more exciting stuff yeah. coming. Okay. Hey, and for all of you glorious listeners out there, if you have any ideas for segments, how about you email that at info at dungeoncrawlersradio.com. Good or bad. Yeah. <laughs> good or bad. Hopefully we'll, good, though. We'll, we'll yeah. take them. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll listen to everything you have, and uh, if it fits in, we're going to roll it out. Now, we did have some Gamer 4 each emails this week. Unfortunately, because of the double interview, we couldn't get to them. Uh, we will one. Huh? Not one. We got two minutes left. Easiest oh. answer, throw a dice at the DM. That's going to fix everything. That's instant death, It folks. will probably kill your character, <laughs> but it'll at least make you feel better. You can make the DM son put his D20 in the freezer before we start playing to cool it off especially, a little bit. Especially oh, nice. if you've got like, one of those I have to say, Patrick yeah. survived yeah. the entire game session awesome. without a single 20 roll. Nice. I didn't roll any 20s. I got, I got two new sets of dice, and I totally geeked out over one of them, and yeah. I opened it, and I just rolled the whole thing. Fistful, nat 20 on the nice. first roll. Nice. Very nice. <laughs> That's a good sign. Yep. I love them. Okay. All right. So we got two minutes left. Check, it, uh, check in next week. R.A. Salvatore talking about the rise of the king uh, with Wizards of the Coast. Um, then we'll have Jonathan Ryan. And, you know, send in your, your Gamer Forge request. Definitely call in next week. Uh, the phone lines will be available. And uh, I'll leave the sign off to you guys. Go. Sorry, it was very All loud. Right. Oh, wow. my God. No one else hears it but you. <laughs> I know. I heard it. It was right in my ear. What? Sorry. I can't hear anything <laughs> now. Yeah. Just, yeah. Non-threatening British lady screamed my ear off. So, uh, special thanks to Epic Puzzles Games, West Valley, West Valley City, Utah, just west of Bangor Highway and about 3,500 south. Or 3,500 east. Sorry. 3,500 nope. east. 3,500 south, 3,980 west. 3,980 west. See, you knew it better than I did. Eventually, we'll get these numbers right. Yes, that's very true. <laughs> for being our home for the, for the past four years, how was your night? Mine was epic. So until next time, good night, Salt Lake. Good night, world. And as always, please get more from your games. Wendy, darling, light of my life, I'm not going to hurt you. You didn't let me finish my sentence. I said, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your brains in. That was a pretty good Jack Nicholson. Really, thank you. Yeah. That was scary. Wow. That was really good. Well, okay. with that, no? Or do we all say we're Batman? No. 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 All right. I'm not Batman. Because I'm the Joker. We're all Batman. Uh, I'm Zakora. Good for you. All right. <laughs> we'll catch you next week. Batman. You want to know how I got these scars? No. All right. Catch us next week. Oh, we gosh. might be infested with drow, but we'll Ooh. be happy. Having yeah. fun. We'll do it. Woot. Do do do.